Uh, I'm Shannon. I am the executive pastor here at Northview. Um, and if you're wondering what the heck is an executive pastor, I don't really know, actually. Um, I think they changed me from the, the children's director to the executive pastor because it's easier to abbreviate to ex-pastor. I don't know. Um, cut out a step, I think. Um, but uh, if you hadn't heard, uh, our senior pastor, Steve Mitchells, is on sabbatical as of last Monday. And uh, uh, a much-deserved rest um, most of you know he does a tremendous amount of work for our church, most of it relational, um, dealing with the people stuff that we all have, um, and uh, he's been exhausted. So uh, I did get to talk to him just briefly yesterday, um, and he said that he is a little bit out of sorts still. I know he wanted to set a bunch of time aside to pray and fast, and and um, in doing that, it takes slowing down, and Steve is a doer. He's got that farm mentality of go, go, go all the time. And he's sequestered himself at a cabin, and I don't think he knows what to do. He said he read five books already. <laughs> no joke. Um, and he's, he's like, what do I do? Um, th- th- there's nothing to do. And so it's going to take him a little bit to shift gears. So keep him, him in your prayers, uh, especially as he uh, seeks God for uh, kind of restoration and rejuvenation there. Um, so we've got, I think, a great lineup of messages this summer in his absence. He'll be back in September. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but um, we'll be looking at this month, uh, Neighboring, uh, through a series called The Art of Neighboring from, surprise, the book, Art of Neighboring. Um, if you want a, a leg up on the series or get more information, um, you're welcome to grab that. Uh, I do have a couple of copies if you're really interested in it, too. And we're going to walk through a lot of the steps that, go through, that, that you'd find in the book uh, together. Um, I do want to start us out uh, this morning um, with a story, though, before we jump into the nitty-gritty. Um, so bear with me as I read it. It was al- already mid-morning when the man woke up. He took his time getting prepared. He liked to be well-rested at the start of the journey since he'd be out on the road in uncomfortable surroundings for the next few nights. Even though it was only a day's journey downhill from the capital to his city on the return trip, getting there was twice the time with with gruelingly steep hills. At least he had a pack animal to make the trip. He wasn't as young as he used to be. Unfortunately, his business business had been successful enough to afford afford some small luxuries to make life easier. His wife fussed over him as he mounted up. She always hated it when he left. It'd be quite some time before she'd see him again, and she worried that someday he might not make it back again. On his way out of town, the incline started. It seemed to stretch on forever. Each curve gave the hope that it would level out, but he knew better. He'd done this trip many times over the years. The sun was already hot when he reached the rocky country. The stones loomed in clusters and seemed to glow red in the light. He had to be careful from here on out. This road had a reputation for danger, and not just from the harsh conditions. Wealthy traders would sometimes disappear, never to be heard from again. The man's mind began to wander with worry of what sort of thieves or robbers he'd find ahead. He had imagined many a scenario trying to fight off bad guys intent on taking his animal, his goods, and probably even his life. And he could have taken a different route, but those paths took him so far out of his way. And besides, all his fears had amounted to nothing in the end anyway. The worst thing he'd encounter were the people in the capital. They often spat on him and heaped ridicule on him. The best he could hope for was to be ignored. Funny, though, They didn't seem to mind taking his money. All that prejudice over something as completely out of his control as his place of birth, what family he was born into. Movement up ahead shook him from his thoughts as he picked his way towards the top of that first long hill. Someone was running towards him. His pulse quickened. As he squinted his eyes to make out the shape hurrying toward him, he could see tassels and flowing robes of the man up ahead kicking up the dust of the road. This was no bandit just a priest hurrying on his way. He passed by, clearly intent on his own direction, and didn't even give the man on the donkey a passing glance. That's okay. He was used to it. But up the road, another figure stood out on the horizon. Was this a thief? 
Could he be chasing down the priest that just passed? The man moved his donkey to the side of the path to be ready for this newcomer if he was a threat. And as he approached, he could see the second traveler casting glances in the shadows at the sides of the road nervously, and he kept turning to look behind him as if he expected he was being followed. This was nearly enough to turn the businessman back. He didn't get into this position by taking risks. But in the end, being a practical man and, and not seeing any real threat, he decided to proceed. He crested the top of the first great hill and descended into the shallow valley. It was as if the road itself was preparing for the next arduous 10-mile climb. Several vultures were circling in the sky a short distance away. And as he neared, he began to get an eerie sense that something was amiss. A sandal lay in the roadway just up by the next set of stones. He stopped, afraid that he might ride into a full-on into an ambush. He listened and waited. Nothing happened. All was quiet except the breeze and the croaking of the vultures overhead. He urged his donkey on slowly, his hand wrapped around the walking stick tied with his gear. At the rocks, he was struck by the acrid smell of blood. There at the side of the road lay a crumpled heap of flesh and gore. Was this a trap to lure him in? Every instinct told him to dig his heels in and hurry the donkey along at the fastest pace its short legs would allow. But he paused. He could hear his mother's words echoing from his childhood, urging him to do for others what he would have done for him. That unidentifiable mass didn't move or stir. Against everything in him, he slowly and carefully dismounted. He could see now that it was a man. Like him, only stripped bare. His hair and his beard were matted with blood, and his body was bruised and misshapen by countless gashes and wounds. The faintest moan implausibly escaped his lips, breaking the silence. Committed now to this course of action, the businessman opened his bags and quickly grabbed several jars of liquid, light medicines he carried for his own potential ailments. He knelt over the broken body of the victimized traveler and began to search for the most serious wounds first. He dabbed here and there, getting blood on his hands and on his clothes. Very carefully, he rolled the man on his back, and he recognized him. They'd passed a number of times before, this, before near this very spot. Each time, the other man had turned his head aside so their eyes wouldn't meet. Now, you could hardly see the features for the fa- on his face for the swelling. After tending him for a few moments, the businessman knew that greater attention was needed and at a cleaner and safer location. Those thugs who did this could return at any moment. With much effort, he hefted the unconscious body up onto the back of his donkey and lashed him in place, trying to achieve something of a comfortable position for him. The inn that he had planned to stay at for the evening was still several miles away, and now he was slowed to a walk, cautiously leading the burdened animal. The sun was low in the sky when they staggered up to the outpost. At his approach, there was a flurry of activity. Hired hands ran up, offering to get the ailing passenger down to a bed for a price. Of course, he said, just take care. I'll make sure you're rewarded for your kindness. Several hands helped the injured man who hadn't woken, and the donkey was led to the stable. The innkeeper was a businessman at heart, too, and he agreed to provide care and even send word to a doctor the next day. Once all the monetary arrangements had been made, the weary traveler checked in on his unknowing companion. He cleaned the grime from the man's face. He double-checked the bandages and the wrappings and even attempted to smooth his hair. With nothing more he could do to make the man comfortable, he sat down beside him, wondering what family he had, and he imagined the concern that his loved ones were undoubtedly laboring under due to this unexpected delay. He made up his mind to conclude his business dealings in the capital quickly and return to the inn, hopefully, uh, sorry, hopeful that with a week's rest and good care, Perhaps he could accompany this poor man the rest of the way on his journey. As we dig into that a little bit, let's, let's pray. 
Father, the heart of the message today, the heart of, of what we're gathered here to hear about is, is neighboring. Um, and uh, as we dig into that, Lord, we want um, to be guided by your truth, your word, not my word, not my truth, but yours. Uh, Lord, work in us uh, with your Holy Spirit um, to uh, bring about action, bring about change if, it, if it's needed. Lord, help us to cooperate with you uh, in the ways that you ask. Uh, be kind to us and gracious to us as you always are. And thank you again for your presence here. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So I've done that story many, many times. And by the way, um, that's that's a uh, paraphrased version. I uh, did a little bit of a artistic embellishment to it. Um, uh, if you're looking for the, the Bible that that came out of, it's the uh, Shannon Revised Version. Um, but the elements are there for the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and, and I think it's important to look at it now and then from a different perspective. And, and for me, in, in reading through it as, as part of this message, um, I'd never really looked at it before from the perspective of the Samaritan. And, and we do, in a sense, when it comes to um, the things he did, uh, in caring for somebody else, we understand those things. That's the that's the the kids' Sunday school lesson that I'm used to, right? The you know care for others, and and so we do take that perspective a little bit. But um, to actually walk in his steps and imagine what that would have been like, some of the hurdles to overcome there. Um, and there were some legitimate ones. Um, there was a lot of reasons for him not to do what he did, not to act, not to take part and be like those other guys that hurried on by. Um, and I find myself judging the priest, the, the Levite that, that left the man in the ditch. Um, and I think, gosh, you know, how could you do that? How, how, how could you leave somebody in need like that? And yet, honestly, I kind of do the same thing a lot in my own life. Um, I think they struggled with the same things that uh, we recognize as maybe even even a little bit of a legitimate reason not to act, right? The the safety factor. Um, this man actually was in danger himself. The road that uh, he was on, uh, there are still trails and things that exist there now from Jericho to Jerusalem. And even in this present day, that that road, that path is fraught with danger. Um, it's steep canyons. It is sharp, jagged rocks, uh, and it is a perfect place for, place for bandits to hide. And even now, um, people like to make that hike and that journey, but uh, they'll still get waylaid even today. Um, it is a difficult and dangerous place and has been since this time. And so that safety factor isn't one to be ignored. You stop to help somebody and you become a victim as well. Um, that's a price that you have to consider. Um, that may be a legitimate reason not to act. The fear alone. Um, I've had fear in reaching out to somebody and in touching somebody that may be bloody. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Cause I, am I going to get sick from him? There's a fear there. Um, Clearly, with this man, there's a cost to it, too, um, a, a monetary cost. Um, he had to pay for this man's care and uh, the, the medical attention that he needed. It was a huge cost. The cultural divide. Um, I don't think we even begin to understand the difference between a Jew and a Samaritan in how that actually looked in the, the discrimination and the prejudice that was there. Um, the Jews called the Samaritans dogs. Um, that's a real thing. Uh, and then just the physical toll. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to lift somebody, but putting somebody that is unconscious up high on an animal is nearly, nearly impossible for some of us. So, um, and... and trading places with this man and walking up this, this hill for a, a, a tremendous distance, there's a physical toll to these things. All of these things are, are good reasons for him not to act. And yet he did. And this was an example of 
neighboring. Um, and things that, that, um, that I think are important to the act of neighboring. Um, it was the compassion for this man that drove him. He had that, that, that gut reaction that he, he couldn't not act. Um, he had pity on the man and it overcame those obstacles. And then the sacrifice. Um, and we just talked about some of those things. The, the actual cost that it took um, to give up of himself and, and help this man. Um, the, the Samaritan had to give up his time. And let's be honest, time is a big deal for us. We fill up our lives so full that we can't get enough time. And if there was one thing that, that, that I wish that I had more of, it's not money and it's not fame, it's time. Uh, I actually told somebody this, I, I was talking to Lisa yesterday on the phone, and she said, hey, how's it going? Um, I wish I had two more days. I wish I had two more days. Because time is, is hard to come by. So just giving up that time for another person, um, that's a huge sacrifice uh, that, that needs to be made. That and the resources, um, I, I guess I consider the stuff that we have, um, I've heard it described as life energy. It, it is the representation of time that we took and the energy we took to build that or gain that. So uh, there's a cost to those things when we sacrifice them. Um, And that was a critical piece in his act of neighboring. And then the last one is continued care, that the care he gave didn't didn't just last for a moment. It wasn't a patch on the back, put a Band-Aid on it, and see ya. it lasted. It was a present care and a future care. He knew that this was going to be a process. So when we, when we talk about neighboring, when we talk about being a neighbor and who is my neighbor, uh, these things are critical. Compassion, sacrifice, and continued care. Now, having said all that and spent a lot of time on that, um, the, the Sunday school version of things, um, that's not even really the heart of the issue. Um, the real story takes place just before that, in Luke 10, 25 through 27. Um, and what's really going on that led to that parable that Jesus told. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That is the heart of the issue right there. And while those elements that we talked about with neighboring, compassion, sacrifice, and care are, are critically important, I want to focus on this, this section specifically. Um, this man was an expert in the law. He's a lawyer. He's a legalist. Um, and he asked a legal question about the law. All right, Jesus, what, what commandments do you have um, you know, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What are the mo- basically, what are the most important things that I have to do? And Jesus answered him in his own terms, in a legal sense. He says, what's written in the law? What, what's your opinion on this? Plays into his, his pride a little bit. And, and he gives the good Jewish answer. Um, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. We've been told from an early age that this is, uh, this is what encompasses the entire law, all the commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says, righto, good answer. Now, do this and you'll live. Put that into action. And um, the, lo- the, the legal, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. And so he says, okay, I'm taking another step further. Who's my neighbor? Now, this man didn't come in 
really seeking and desperately wanting to know, hey, uh, I really want to know Jesus. How do I? He came to test Jesus. Now, just an aside, that's a bad idea. I've done that in my own life way too many times where I've questioned Jesus or told Jesus I'm not going to do something, told God, nah, that's not for me, and um, had to deal with the consequences in, in not fun ways. So don't do that. That's what not to do. Don't test Jesus. But he does. Jesus responds in a legal way, and in the end, um, he comes to, instead of a legal definition or a legal conversation, Jesus tells a story that takes it to a heart place. And, and I, I was challenged as I'm reading through this, because um, I've done this story again many times with kids. Um, he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And, and I've always struggled with that justify part. Like, okay, he, got, he knows his stuff. He got his answer. What's there to justify? He was even told, you're right. Um, so what was there to justify? And... Um, uh, you know, I've, I've heard the phrase many times about being justified by Christ. And that uh, another way to help understand that is thinking of it just as if I'd never sinned. Um, that when you're justified by Christ, it's just as if you'd never done that um, and been separated. Well, I think the same, the same way of thinking could be applied to this. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to, to be just as if he'd done what he's supposed to do. And in this case, Jesus takes it to the neighboring issue. And he even goes there. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with the love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He asks about the neighboring portion. And that's his, his justification is, all right, okay, so I don't do neighboring well, so tell me who my neighbor is. He's trying to justify his actions and, and frame it in a way that makes it fit the criteria of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, I don't know about you, but I do that. I try to, to take what God tells me to do and I fit it into what I'm already doing um, because that's a whole lot easier than um, stepping out where it's uncomfortable and hard and ugly and bloody sometimes. Um, I came across an article the other day. And I don't know if you can read that well or not. The headline is, people think they're nicer than they actually are, study finds. Shocking. Um, but the, the, the quote that I, I pulled out um, that really struck me the most, 98% of people think they're part of the nicest 50% of the population. Which, maybe that's not that surprising, right? We all think we're above average. Um, but, yeah, well, I'm nicer than that guy. I've seen what he does. Oh, and, and she can be, eh, I'm nicer than that. Um, nearly everybody thinks, I'm a nice person. That's not actually mathematically possible, by the way. Um, and it does make me wonder, too, um, what about those other 2%? Man, those guys must be really bad. <laughs> so, we have a hard time even living up to our own self-image. I'm sorry, that, that example. Um, even our own self-image of, hey, I'm nice. Mm, actually, we cannot be. We aren't all the time. Um, when I was younger, uh, in college, there was a, an incident that happened that, that really struck me when it comes to how I thought about myself and the expectations I had for me, particularly when it comes to neighboring, caring for others. And um, I was up at the uh, Queen Anne QFC. It was a SPU student at the time. And uh, I was probably looking for ding-dongs or, you know, Twinkies or something, um, something nutritious. And uh, I, I, was, I had gone down the cooler aisle and... Um, there was a, a gentleman further up the aisle a little ways from me, uh, an older guy. I just saw him out of the corner of my eye, but I did notice that he was not looking so good, and he was starting to sway a little bit back and forth, starting to get a little shaky. And um, as I turned and looked at him, um, he 
his eyes closed and he completely toppled over backwards and hit his head on the floor full on. Um, and he was an elderly gentleman. And now, pause for a moment. All my growing up years, um, first aid, CPR, medical stuff was impressed upon me. My parents were firefighters. They were EMTs. They would bring home equipment on a regular basis. They met weekly to train, and they would bring this stuff home. So we had one of those Annie dolls. You know what those are. The looks like a half a person sitting on the floor. Um, and, and just even as kids, we're, you know, we'd pump away on these things. And gosh, we knew all the right stuff, right? Um, and, and we practiced it regularly. Um, so I knew my stuff. I knew first aid. I knew what to do. I knew to send somebody to go call 911. Go check their airway, you know, their, their circulation. Do they have a pulse? I know all that stuff. And in my head, all my life I've been like this. Um, as a prideful person, I have this movie that goes on that is kind of larger than life, right? And, and you, you imagine these moments where I valiantly save somebody's life, you know, and I take a bullet for them or something like that. And, um, you know, you get medals and parade. It's crazy because in reality, in that moment, even though I knew what to do and I had all the tools to do it, that man fell over hard on the floor. I completely froze in fear. I don't even know what to be afraid of there, but I didn't move. And I looked around who was going to help him. And the, the checkout person um, was actually much further away from me or further away from this man than me. And she, she stopped checking out and ran over to help this man. And pretty soon a crowd had gathered there. Um, and I just kind of slunk away. And that was a huge blow. And, and recognizing that I can't live up to my own self-image. I can't even, I can't match the things that I think about myself, particularly when it comes to neighboring and other people, caring for others. So as Jesus goes through this story, um, recognize that, that the, the example he gives, the parable he gives, he jumps right to, with this man, he jumps right to what I, what I heard described by the authors of this book, actually, as uh, graduate level neighboring. So he goes, not for the first step, he goes all the way out to, this is where we're going to try and get to, right? This is the goal here is neighboring like the Samaritan did. It's that caring sacrifice um, over time that was important, but it's like, that's, that's the goal. That's the end point. Um, for us today, I, I want to rein that in a little bit because we, we've heard that story so many times that we know instinctively that our neighbor is... Everybody, right? Anybody in need. And, and I, I take care of my neighbor in Peru by, by sending that check to Compassion every month. And, and so I'm taking care of that neighbor in need. Um, and that's good. That's important. Um, but that's graduate level neighboring. And we have to make sure that we're doing kindergarten level neighboring. Rein it back in and take it to the most basic next step. So I call this kindergarten-level neighboring. And I guess the question is, with who is our neighbor, is what if our neighbor from the story of the Good Samaritan was actually our neighbor, the person that lived right next to you? It's a, a shocking concept, but i got to be honest, I've never thought of it that way before. Um, before being introduced to some of the, the tenets of this, uh, this series, um, I was fine justifying myself by thinking, oh, my neighbor's out there and I, I help. I, you know, I, my work is the church. I, I, I do neighboring all the time. The truth is, with my own neighbors, um, the relationships that I have with them, the caring that I show them, is all from when we first moved into our home almost 20 years ago. 
And those people have all moved away. And I knew them because we moved in and we got introduced to them. And when folks move away and new people have come in, we haven't taken the steps to get to know our new neighbors in 20 years. And that's, that's hard to re-examine myself with. That, uh, just know that as, I, as I'm speaking these things in this whole series, it's out of a place of weakness for me, and it's not something that, that I do well. Steve should be preaching this message, because Steve instinctively knows neighboring and care for other people. Um, I guarantee you, if you asked Steve who his neighbors are, he would tell you everything you want to know about his neighbor and who they're connected with in Florida, right? That's just Steve. Sorry, you get me. But to me, I think this is one of those things that we can walk through together because I, I really want to take this, in, take this seriously. So let, let's divert just for a quick second. Um, and for us as a body, um, does this fit? Does this, is this who we are is, as a group? Are we, should we be neighboring? Is that really where our focus should lie? And um, John uh, mentioned earlier our Northview mission. Um, and that we, for our mission statement, which is posted right up in the lobby and on our website and everywhere else, we celebrate God, we share Jesus, and we serve one another. And those are all critical things to what we do. And I just want to focus on on the serving one another part because to me that is neighboring at its heart. That's that care and compassion and sacrifice that we do for others as we serve each other. So that's at our core as a church, that's our mission. And I would would say that our vision um, and how we carry that out is this little diagram here that that, um, Steve brought to us and it's something that we share in our orientations and in our membership classes, and I think really puts it well. The target, um, the thing we're aiming for, has all the right elements, right? Right theology and doctrine, right behavior. Uh, we want our actions to follow our faith. Um, but the very heart of the bullseye, that, that piece that we aim at every time and try to make uh, and incorporate into everything we do is right relationship and that our vision is establishing healthy relationships, relationships with each other and with God. Um, And I think that that is perfectly consistent with Scripture in in Galatians 15, um, Paul is talking, and and I I mentioned before that that, uh, a good legal Jew understood that the Ten Commandments boiled down to those two, love God, love your neighbor. Paul says this, the entire law is summed up in a single command. And it isn't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Because in my mind, if you can love your neighbor the way that God calls us to, love your neighbor as you love yourself, with that caring, that compassion, that sacrifice, you have to love God. You've got to have that down to get this one. So for Northview, our, our intention, our, our whole goal is to develop right relationships. Our right relationship with God, our right relationship with each other. Um, those other things are important, and they're on the target too. But those are secondary, as, the, as Galatians says. Everything is summed up in that one, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we want to define neighboring, I would say... Um, it is some of those elements that we've talked about, but it's, it's even moving from being stranger to relationship. We go from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. So that, that'll set kind of the bedrock for how we move forward. Um, but I also want to just address really quick, if you're not in relationship with God now, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, um, Now's a good time to do it. 1 John 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, If you want to know how that process of surrendering, of confessing and believing God, um, if you want to know how that all works, come talk to one of the worship team, come talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders. We'd love to walk you through that. But um, again, that, 
that relationship with each other and that relationship with our neighbors um, is only as good as our relationship with God in the first place. And I would say too, um, as a shameless plug, um, our relationship with our own family um, is critically important to that equation too. Um, As I challenge you guys, I would tell you, bring your family in on the action points that we're going to work through. Um, And one of the ones that Steve has really hammered away on and um, we all do really well is praying with our spouse, right? No. Um, Wow, I didn't get any amens on that. (laughs) There we go. Um, If you're like me, I hate it when he brings that up because I struggle to be able to do that. And yet know that that is a really important piece to this whole equation, this whole process. Um, Love God, love your family. And we, we know that those things set up loving your neighbor. So, shameless plug um, about your spouse. Um, if, you, if you have issues, you want to develop a deeper relationship with your spouse, um, a number of you guys probably have gone through it with us. The Weeds and my wife and I have walked through um, a study from the book uh, done by Paul Tripp called What Did You Expect? And it deals with um, neighboring, or sorry, neighboring issues, marriage issues very, very well. And uh, incidentally, there's a conference, a little mini conference on uh, June 16th and 17th. It's a Friday evening, Saturday morning to help fit into schedules where they've actually brought Paul Tripp in um, to Canyon Hills down in Canyon Park, uh, and he'll be speaking on this stuff. So um, Lisa and I are going. Uh, I know there's a number of other folks signed up as well, but um, uh, I'll have a link on our website too if that's something that's that you feel like you, you need to um, need to work on. So I'd encourage you that way too. All right. Um, can I have the ushers help me out? Um, we have a little something that um, I want to walk you through real quick, and they're going to help pa- hand it out to you. Um, so guys, just one per family. And as they come around, just grab one for you and your family group. Um, and it's going to look like that. So as they get to them, as they get to you, just set it aside, but you can use it um, or the one on screen here um, as we kind of do this mental exercise. So we're talking about neighboring. We're talking about how important other people are and how important it is to care for them. Um, Stepping out in sacrifice and compassion and all those things. Um, And there's there's a step one to that. Um, So we're going to walk through a challenge that I have for you. And the first part is something that I learn very well through children's ministry and working with kids all the years that I have, um, that relationships start with one thing, and that's their name. you got to know their name. And I do this really well with kids because it's part of how I've been trained. First thing you do is you shake their hand, you get their name, and my own way of doing things, I, I try to make a silly joke out of it so that I can try and remember it. But if you know their name... You've got them. Because the next time you see them, Greg, how you doing, man? How's it going? And remembering somebody's name is so important and so intrinsic to beginning relationship. So as you look at this little grid, here's what we're going to do. Um, I think most of you guys have it now. Um, imagine your home. That's the yellow one in the center. Imagine your house. And... I know geographically everybody's a little bit different. Um, some of you may say, well, if I start to imagine the homes around my home, it doesn't look like that square. We have a green belt behind our house. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> imagine it in your configuration. Who's to your right? What house is to your right? What house is to your left, in front, behind, and even the diagonals? Map it out. Um, and... Mentally, you don't have to write anything down. That'll be for you later this week. Um, How many of those blanks that you have, can you fill in their name? Names are important. That's the basis for initial connection. How many of those names do you know? I will confess that we did this as a staff uh, a couple weeks ago as a group exercise. And... Some of the staff were were really good at it. Um, They're naturally relational. They're outgoing, and they connect well with their neighbors, and longevity has a lot to do with it, too, when they've been at a place for a long time. 
they could list all their neighbors up and down their street. I was like, oh, man. Um, I know one of my neighbor's names. She's across the way, across the street, and her name is Mrs. Fallon. Incidentally, that's my last name. Um, she's, she's not related, but I can remember that one, right? I've seen it on her mailbox. So if your name is Smith, you might have a better percentage chance of having that happen too. But I knew her name. The other ones, I was like, okay, Chinese family. That's the best I could do. I'm like, all right. That's embarrassing. You know, I, I work at a church where relationship is critical and key. I just walked through our mission and vision statements and how important that is, and I don't even know my own neighbors. That's embarrassing. Step two, you got the names. I don't, know, I don't know how many you did, but again, hold those in your head. What facts do you know about those people with those names? Who do you, what do you know about them? Now, some of the easy parts are, well, I know, I know that kind of car they drive. Okay. How many kids do they have? What are their jobs? Um, are they home a lot? Are they out? What kind of stuff do they do? Um, just some of the basic facts to put with those, those people. How do you do on that? Maybe about the same. Um, Chinese family, that was a fact. I got another one. Um, but let's take it to step three. What are their hopes and dreams? What, what things drive them? What's important to them? What are their goals in life? What are some of their biggest struggles? Do you know those things? Now, we actually wrote these down and compared them as a staff, which is rough. Um, I'm asking you to do this mentally, but, but this week, your first job, and we won't even get to step three. Let's just start with step one. Get to know your neighbor's names. Now, I probably need to clarify for some of you guys. Um, please don't go through other people's mail. <laughs> that doesn't count, right? Um, I would also avoid the 10 o'clock, knock, 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 knock. Uh, what's your name? Don't do that. That's weird and creepy. Um, there's better ways to go about this. Now, I would also say for, for you rule followers, for you people that like to accomplish things, that have the checklist, this isn't a checklist thing to step up. Hi, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Okay, next house. Hi, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Next house. Um, this isn't a, a, a task to just check off. Um, let's let this happen organically, but also be intentional about it. And here's what I know, and, and I tell kids this all the time. If you've been challenged with something by God, by the Holy Spirit, you're going to have an opportunity this week, maybe even going home today, to, know, to get to know somebody's name. You'll have an opportunity. Now, it may take taking a few steps towards that way. It's not just going to come to you, but that opportunity is going to happen for you this week. I guarantee it. Um, just by way of, of, of illustrating that, um, I did bring this up when, when Steve first said, hey, I'd like you to do the art of neighboring. Okay. And I went home and I told Lisa, and her first, first words were, oh, crap. Because now I have to do something about that, right? You have to, it, 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 we know. I got to speak on this. Now we got to own this. Um, and I, I told you, I, I don't know our neighbors well. Um, the, the Chinese family next to us hardly speaks any English. And I've used that as one of those reasons to justify why I don't have to know them because there's a barrier there. We'll talk about barriers and fences and how to overcome some of those next week. But I don't know them all. There's a neighbor on my right that's moved in about a year ago. Um, 
And, and again, this is an area of shame for me because their back deck, their house is turned sideways, their back deck overlooks our front yard. So every time I come home, they're on their deck. There's an opportunity that I miss every single day. And I made, I was telling our family about this. I, I told my son Caden about this on the drive home the other day that, um, uh, you know, there's this young guy that lives there that I, I want to connect with. I really do. And that it's important not just because we're in this series, but because it's, you know, God's really been working on me through this. And um, I told him, and he fastened onto that. And almost daily, hey, Dan, did you meet the neighbor yet? Now, he has some ulterior motives too, because the guy's a car guy, and he has some cars that my son likes. But he still asks on a regular basis. Um, and I just... It, Again, the time thing. I'm so busy. I hardly have any time to even go over and try to find out if he's there or not. Um, I was sitting on the couch on Friday, a couple of days ago. And he comes in from working on the, tinkering on the car in the driveway. He's like, Dad, our neighbor is in the driveway if you want to meet him. <laughs> um, he had seen Caden working on the car and it had come over to talk to Caden. And so, uh, again, there's ulterior motives there, but I would say include your family in on this because this is a collective deal. And for those of you with kids, young or old, they are an easy way, an, an easier way to connect with others, okay? Um, so the point is, I guarantee you, you'll be faced with opportunities this week Maybe not that easy where they come into your driveway, um, but you'll have an opportunity to get to know some of your neighbors' names this week. So here's the, here's the challenge. Put this up on your fridge. I was going to say your computer because um, we do that all the time, but I don't know what the magnet will do to that. Definitely not the TV, um, but the fridge. You have to go to the fridge every day, probably. Um, so put it on the fridge and, and actually write down on here your neighbors' names as you, as you complete them. Again, this isn't a checkbox thing. This is to help us. It's a tool to help us build relationship. First step, get to know their names. We'll get to the other stuff in a little bit. All right? So that is our challenge this week. Um, and I think I'm past time, aren't I? All right. Um, part of relationship and, and recognizing our relationship with God um, can be brought about through communion. So we're going to take communion right now. Um, and I'm going to call the ushers up, and you can begin to pass out uh, the elements. And I'll have our worship team come back up as well. Um, communion at its core is about relationship. And I did mention several times already that um, even though all of the law boils down to loving your neighbor, that critical piece is loving God and recognizing our relationship with him. So as the, the guys prepare communion um, to hand out, um, would you just pray with me real quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin to pass it out and partake. Father, thanks for the relationship that you've established with us. Um, we weren't even close to you when you found us, and um, yet you've treated us as not just a neighbor, but as family, and accepted us in. Um, Lord, as we reflect on kind of where we're at in this process of caring for others and recognizing those closest to us, um, just speak to us on this. And uh, as we examine ourselves before communion, would you um, help us to get right with you on this? Um, find out where you're leading and join you there. Thank you, Lord. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, and I would love to have some of that as well. And one of you guys, if you wouldn't mind... Passing up some of the elements to the worship team, too. Great. So as I said, communion is about relationship. Uh, the early church recognized this. Um, as they grew together, as they brought in more people that understood Jesus' love, um, they lived their lives together. They shared their property. They shared their, their, their stuff um, they lived life fully together. And when they'd gather together, 
they would get together for feasts and celebration um, of being changed and different. And so much of that was a shared relationship with Christ. Um, and as we partake in communion, we can recognize that as well. Um, now, the early church, they even got a little bit, of carry, little bit carried away with it. It became parties and, and festivals and things. And they were, they were encouraged, hey, scale that back and let's un- understand the importance of what you're doing with the bread and the wine. Um, but celebrate together because our relationship with each other as a body, as a, as a group of believers, helps us to understand our relationship with God um, even more. We gain a lot by seeing how other people deal with and struggle with their relationships with God. 1 Corinthians 10.16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are money are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And as we consider the elements, um, the bread is Christ's body, the blood... I'm sorry, the the wine is his blood. Um, I I think it was said really well um, uh, in something I found, and I wanted to read it to you. It says, Communion is a time when the body comes together to celebrate in memory of what Jesus has done for us. And we eat the bread and we drink the wine together, caring for each other as a body and a family. Make it a celebration of what God did for us. So just for a moment, let's let's stop and consider um, what God's done for us. Um, so that we can celebrate that together. So we'll just pause for a moment. Jesus himself took the bread and broke it and reminded his followers that this is my body and it's broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. And then they took the cup, which is a fantastic uh, symbol of of fellowship and celebration and relationship. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink it in memory of me. And as I close, would you pray once again along with me? Father, we acknowledge that the, the neighboring we're talking about, that care, that compassion, that sacrifice, it's just an extension of our relationship with you. You're the king over our lives, and, and we understand, too, that you're sovereign over our neighborhoods. You've placed us where we are for a purpose. Um, Lord, would you just give us boldness, um, and not just crazy boldness, but measured boldness to cooperate with you in in building new relationships and strengthening uh, old ones too. Lord, bless us today as we gather, and uh, also bless us as we depart this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.